Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. These six individuals have made the choice to work, the choice to sacrifice, put themselves on the line, represent you, this high school. This is your team. Hoosiers, they needed a second chance to finish first. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the championship game. You're not the new coach. Are you expecting somebody different? <laughs> Younger. Most incredible and improbable confrontation. Well, those of you who don't know, my name is Norman Dale. I coached college ball for 10 years, but it's been 12 years since I've blown this. In the illustrious history of the Indiana High School basketball tournament. That's a hell of a team you had there. You knew that team? I know everything there is to know about the greatest game ever invented. With a pint size hardly big enough for three syllables, Hickory Huskers, enrollment 64. Out of here, right now. You kicking me out? Yes, don't come back until you learn to keep your mouth shut and listen. Take on the defending state champions, the Mighty Bears of South Bend Central. Run you off the boards. You got to squeeze them back in the paint. Make them chuck it from the cheap seats. Already calling this the game of the century. I've seen them, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days. News people from all over the Middle West are here to witness Hoosierland's version of the Cinderella story. It's got to work out this time. Or that's it for good. The starting lineup for the Huskers. Well, my boys only know basketball farming in school. A basketball hero around here is treated like a god. You know, most people would kill be treated like a god just for a few moments. Forget about the crowds, the size of the school, their fancy uniforms, and remember what got you here. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. Let's win this and for all the small schools who never had a chance to get here. Gene Hackman, Barbara Hershey, Dennis Hopper, Hoosiers, they needed a second chance to finish first. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Hoosiers from 1986. Now, the studio was Orion Pictures. The release date was November 14th, 1986. The running time? 115 minutes. The rating? PG. The budget was $6 million, and the box office took in $28.6 million, making it the 35th ranked movie of 1986. Ron Tomatoes gives it 88% fresh from 43 reviews. The critics' consensus is it may adhere to the sports underdog formula, but Hoosiers has been made with such loving craft and features such excellent performances that it's hard to resist. Roger Ebert gave it 4 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. I was a sports writer once for a couple years in downstate Illinois. I covered mostly high school sports, and if I were a sports writer again, I'd want to cover them again. There is a passion to high school sports that transcends anything that comes afterward. Nothing in pro sports equals the intensity of a really important high school basketball game. Hoosiers knows that. 
This is a movie about a tiny Indiana high school that sends a team all the way to the state basketball finals in the days when schools of all sizes played in the same tournament and a David could slay a Goliath. That's still the case in Indiana, but not, alas, in Illinois. The school in the movie is so small that it can barely feel the team, especially after the best player decides to drop out. Can schools this small actually become state champs? Sure, that's what high school sports are all about. Hoosiers is a comeback movie, but it's not simply about the comeback of this small team, the Hickory Huskers. It's also about the comeback of their coach, a mysterious middle-aged guy named Norman Dale, played by Gene Hackman, who seems too old and too experienced to be coaching in an obscure backwater like Hickory. It's also a comeback story of Shooter, the town drunk, played by Dennis Hopper, whose supporting performance just won an Oscar nomination. Everybody in this movie seems to be trying to start over in life, and in a way, basketball is simply their excuse. Hoosiers has the broad overall structure of most sports movies. It begins with the problem of a losing team, introduces a new coach, and continues with obligatory training sequences and personality clashes, arrives at their darkest hour, and then heads towards triumph. The story structure is almost as sacred to Hollywood as basketball is to Indiana. What makes Hoosier special is not its story, however, but its details and its characters. Angelo Pizzo, who wrote the original screenplay, knows small-town sports. He knows all about high school politics and how the school board and the parents' groups always think they know more about basketball than the coach does. He knows about gossip, scandal, and vengeance. And he knows a lot about human nature. All of his knowledge, however, would be pointless without Hackman's great performance at the center of this movie. Hackman is gifted at combining likability and complexity, two qualities that usually don't go together in movies. He projects all of the single-mindedness of any good coach, but then he contains other dimensions, and we learn about the scandal in his past that led him to this one-horse town. David Anspaugh's direction is good at suggesting Hackman's complexity without belaboring it. Hickory High School is where Hackman hopes to make his comeback, but he doesn't think only of himself. He meets Shooter, the alcoholic father of one of his team members, and enlists him as an assistant coach with one stipulation. No more drinking. That doesn't work. In a way, Hackman knows it won't work, but by involving Shooter once again in the life of the community, he's giving him a reason to seek the kind of treatment that might help. Hackman finds that he has another project on his hands, too, the rehabilitation of his heart. He falls in love with a teacher at the school, Barbara Hershey, and the relationship is interesting, as far as it goes, although it feels like key scenes have been cut out of the romance. Maybe another movie could have been made about them. This movie is about basketball. The climax of the movie will come as no great surprise to anyone who has seen other sports. Hoosiers works a magic, however, in getting us to really care about the fate of the team and the people depending on it. In a way, it combines sports with human nature. It reminded me of another wonderful Indiana sports movie, Breaking Away. It's a movie that is all heart. And that's the end of the review. I think I saw this in the theater when it was originally released. I do remember my dad being very interested in the film when he first heard about it, and it was sort of a no-brainer for him. It was a movie with Gene Hackman and basketball. How could you go wrong? It seems like every kid in my generation that was interested in sports, or not, likely saw Hoosiers at one point, mostly due to this being the go-to film for gym teachers to show when we couldn't have regular gym class due to poor weather. 
So while I was initially too young to watch the mature theme of something like Bull Durham when it first came out, Hoosiers was a somewhat family-friendly tale without being sanitized. So when this movie was released in late 1986, really sports was all I cared about at the age of eight. Between the San Francisco 49ers being the team of the 80s and the San Francisco Giants about to get much better with the arrival of Will Clark, and then the run-and-gun you know, late 80s of the Golden State Warriors, a barrier sports fan like myself was in hog heaven, and, and Hoosiers had the right sort of inspiration to, to allow you know, an impressionable young sports fan to dig even deeper into their fandom. And that's what I did. All right, let's get into the main cast. You, of course, have Gene Hackman playing Norman Dale. And Hackman is now retired from films, but he was the most consistent actor of his generation. And really, you'd be hard-pressed to find many stinkers in his filmography. And even when the films weren't that great, like, say, Superman 4, <laughs> The Quest for Peace, he delivered a solid performance. And while I'm pretty sure that Hackman's role as Lex Luthor in the first two Superman films were the first time I saw him on screen, Hoosiers really was the role that opened my eyes to his talents. And eventually I saw him in classics like The French Connection, Bonnie and Clyde, The Poseidon Adventure, Young Frankenstein, and The Conversation. Barbara Hershey plays Myra Fleener, and Hershey started her acting career on television during the 1960s as a teenager and had her movie debut in the romantic comedy with Six, You Get Egg Roll, which is the movie version of what would become The Brady Bunch. It's also the film debut of George Carlin and the last movie for Doris Day. See, this is why you come to damn good movie memories, folks. You get all this random knowledge. Hershey was notably in uh, Martin Scorsese's major debut as a director called Boxcar Bertha. Hershey continued to have character roles on shows and TV movies, but really in the 1980s when she started to have more key roles like The Right Stuff and The Natural, another great sports movie, and Hannah and Her Sisters. Dennis Hopper plays Shooter, and one fun piece of trivia connected to Hopper in his film debut was that he was one of the punk kids in Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean, and then later again with Dean in Giant. Hopper mostly appeared in TV shows throughout the mid-60s, but then his Hollywood career started to take off when he appeared in movies like Cool Hand Luke, Hang 'em High, Easy Rider, and True Grit. He mostly took smaller, like, independent roles throughout the 1970s, but did appear in the classic Apocalypse Now as a photojournalist. He continued with smaller roles throughout the 80s, but really, 1986 was the year of Dennis Hopper. He was in five films, four of them very notable. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, River's Edge, Blue Velvet, and Hoosiers. Some have never had a career like that, let alone one year. The director was David Anspaugh, and prior to Hoosiers, Anspaugh was mostly known as a TV director, directing episodes of Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, and Miami Vice. Hoosiers was his movie debut, with his other best-known film being the underdog classic, Rudy. The screenwriter was Angelo Pizzo, and like Anspaugh, Pizzo began in television and wrote the screenplays for both Hoosiers and Rudy. All right, let's just get right into the movie. And so it starts with an amazing early morning or, you know, sunset of the Midwest with uh, Gene Hackman driving into town. The score is very 1980s because it's synth heavy, but there's something very 80s sports movie about it as well. And as Hackman drives into town, he notices various kids shooting baskets in random places like makeshift courts. Indiana is definitely a basketball town.
So the year of the movie is 1951 in a small town uh, called Hickory in Indiana. And Hackman plays, again, Norman Dale, the new high school basketball coach. He arrives at the school during regular school hours and immediately runs into Myra, that's Barbara Hershey, who is a teacher at the school. She immediately gives Hackman the third degree, saying that she <laughs> she thought he'd be younger. And we find out he used to coach college ball, and uh, he's going to end up being the history and civics teacher at Hickory, though he pretty much is there to coach. I think we've all had high school teachers <laughs> like that. They weren't really there to teach a specific subject, but the school couldn't hire a full-time coach, so Mr. So-and-so became your history teacher. How wonderful. So Hackman says to Hershey, you know, if everyone is as nice as you, country hospitality is going to get an awful name. As Hackman will find out, small town Hickory isn't thrilled with outsider coming in, especially from a big city. So Cletus Summers, played by Sheb Woolley, is the school principal and an old friend of Hackman. They haven't seen each other for 20 years, and we sort of get the idea that Hackman had his problems in his last job, but we'll get more to that later. So Cletus shows Hackman around, and we get our first glimpse of Jimmy Chitwood shooting hoops in the gym. It's funny to see someone practicing in basketball in their jeans. <laughs> Jimmy, we find out later, is the best player in town and is an excellent outside shooter. Jimmy quit playing ball after the previous coach died. The other coach was like a father figure to him. However, Jimmy still practices nonstop. Basically, Jimmy is kind of like Larry Bird. You know, if you're too young to get that reference, basically he's an unbelievable shooter like today's Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. If you thought Barbara Hershey gave Hackman the third degree, just wait till the townspeople get a hold of him at the local barbershop to his first meet and greet. Last time you coached was 12 years ago? Yes, that's right. Where? Uh, that was in uh, Ithaca, New York. Uh, what you've been doing since? Well, I've been in the Navy for the last 10 years. I was a chief petty officer. Well, uh, looks like you're gonna need a little help. Since I've been running practices the last couple of weeks, I'll help you out till you get your feet wet. This town doesn't like change much. So we thought we'd get together here tonight and uh, show you how we do things here. We trust that you're a fine, upstanding, God-fearing man with Christian morals and principles who will, will set an example and a standard of leadership for our boys. Tell me, do you believe in man-to-man -man or zone defense? <laughs> zone defense is all we've played in the past yeah, and right. it's the only thing that'll work this year. That's, that's right, George. That's it. for us. Our boys are too small, but uh, remember, we were 15 and 10 last year and we got all our boys back but one. Listen, I ain't interested in talking defense here, and I don't have a hair of a notion why we hired someone who's been in the water for the last 10 years. <laughs> now, the main point here is, we don't get Jimmy Chipwood back playing ball, we don't have a prayer. He switches over to Terhune, we're in big trouble. Lister's right, Coach. Jimmy's the jack to their It's been real nice talking to you. Good night. So in Texas, football is like a religion, while in Indiana, that distinction goes to basketball. George, plays by Chelsea Ross, has a kid that plays on the team. You might remember Ross in the, as the crusty old veteran pitcher in Major League. Up your butt, Joe Boo. So Barbara Hershey lays down the law that Jimmy isn't going to play for the team, and, and she looks after him due to his mother being really sick and his father passed away years prior. 
Hackman, for what it's worth, doesn't really care if Jimmy plays or not, at least not to this point. However, the townspeople won't let the issue go, and frankly, they are correct, because the team really can't win without him. So George thinks he's going to be assistant coach. Hackman immediately dismisses the idea. Shoot from outside. Quit throwing it around. Get it in the hole. Oh, there you are. I thought we'd go uh, 20 minutes on, 10 off, and 20 on. I had a different schedule on mine. Uh, look, mister, these boys got a routine they're used to. You uh, throw a new coach with newfangled ideas at them, uh, might get them all confused. It will ease into it real slow. Hell, our first game's less than two weeks away. Well, first of all, let's be real friendly here, okay? My name is Norm. Secondly, your coaching days are over. Look, mister, there's two kinds of dumb. A guy that gets naked and runs out in the snow and barks at the moon, and a uh, guy who does the same thing in my living room. First one don't matter, the second one you're kind of forced to deal with. Translate. That's some sort of threat. I don't know why Cletus drug your tired old bones in here. He must have owed you something fierce. Fact is, mister, you start screwing up this team. I'll personally hide strap your ass to a pine rail and send you up the Mona online. Leave the ball, will you, George? Huddle up. Let's see what kind of hand I've been dealt here. Seven players, that it? Six. Uh, I don't count. Why is that? I'm too short. I'm not no good. <laughs> Sit up practice to be a body. Clement manages my trade. I thought everybody in Indiana played basketball. Sir, most do, but not all go out for the team. We only got 64 boys in the whole school. It's gonna be a lonely bench. Well, those of you who don't know, my name is Norman Dale. I coached college ball for 10 years, but it's been 12 years since I've blown this, so I'm gonna be learning from you just like you learned from me. I'm gonna be setting up practice a little bit differently than you used to, but as you'll find out, everything has its reasons. Basketball is a voluntary activity. It's not a requirement. Any of you feel you don't want to be on a team, feel free to leave right now. Did you hear what I said? <clears throat> Me? Yes, you. Sure, I'm just curious to know when we start. We start when I say so. Okay, would you kind of let me know, because I'm kind of getting All tired right, of standing. Out of here, right now. You're kicking me out? Yes, don't come back until you learn to keep your mouth shut and listen. Break my heart. Come on, Whit, let's fly this chicken coop. Didn't you say you'd rather be down at Terhune anyway? It's your funeral. Let's move, Gizzard. I ain't no Gizzard. Have fun, Coach, trying to win with five. Well, make that four and a half players. Okay, let's get those folding chairs. 
function is one single unit. Team, 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 right? No one more important than the other. Pop them, pop, get rid of them. Come on. Come on, big guy, let's go! Outsiders, uh, I don't want any distractions. Outsiders? Coach Tidd? Right. I'm not sure you're in your Well, that was Coach Tidd. This is something else now. Yeah. Hi, I'm Colin Butcher. <clears throat> My son's got something to say to you. Sorry, Coach, about walking out. I'd be obliged if I got myself another chance. It won't happen again. You're the boss. Okay. Still an hour of practice. Get dressed. Hey, uh, boys get a little mixed up from time to time. You get any trouble from Raider with you, let me know. Coach here says he's uh, closing practice to outsiders. Well, you guys can all handle this. No, I got this. Okay. Boys, this man's got a job to do. He wants you out of here. I best believe you better be on your Come way. Come on, Roland. We're just lying facing me. Let's go. Come on. Bend your knees. Put your butt down. Left hand up, right hand down. To your right, let's go! To your left, let's go! Come on, move! So the first practice in Hoosiers should be mandatory viewing for all kids that want to play basketball or at least some sort of uh, you know sports team. Sure, you can you, while you can call sports a game, it's also work, and practice isn't meant to be fun. It's meant to hone your skills and the fundamentals of the game, so it becomes second nature when you play in an actual game. So while some you know players are natural talents, you still need to practice to be too, truly great, and the drills they run do not involve shooting. 
A person who is a casual basketball fan might see Steph Curry shooting nonstop during the game, but doesn't realize there's more to just simply shooting the ball. And actually, for Curry to even be open to shoot a jumper, he must have the proper footwork and ball handling skills to prepare himself even get a shot. So keep in mind, this is high school ball that is played in Hoosiers. High school and college, basketball for the most part is more of a team game, which means actual plays are being run along with lots of passing, especially back in this era of basketball when a shot clock wasn't even invented yet, let alone a three-pointer. So during practice, they include passing drills, defensive drills, dribbling drills, layup drills that do not involve actual baskets, stamina footwork drills, and my all-time favorite, running liners. I'm being sarcastic. Before practice even started, two guys essentially quit the team, leaving the team with only five players. We meet the local town drunk Shooter, played by Dennis Hopper, whose son Everett plays on the team. Shooter is actually incredibly knowledgeable about basketball, but his alcoholism has ruined his chances for a decent life, which also puts a strain on his relationship with his son. So Hackman meets with Jimmy while he's shooting on a dirt court and says his piece. Jimmy, I didn't see you in class today. Any reason you want to tell me about it? You know, in the 10 years that I coached, I never met anybody who wanted to win as badly as I did. I'd do anything I had to do to increase my advantage. Anybody who tried to block the pursuit of that advantage, I just Push them out of the way. Didn't matter who they were or what they were doing. But that was then. You had a special talent, a gift. Not the schools, not the townspeople, not the teams, not Myra Fleener's, not mine. It's yours to do with what you choose. Because that's what I believe. I can tell you this. I don't care if you play on the team or not. So the scene with Jimmy and Coach Dale while Jimmy shot baskets was filmed in one take. The actor who played Jimmy, Maris uh, Valenis, said he wasn't even listening to him. He was just concentrating on making them. And he made one and they just kept going in. Barbara Hershey wants Jimmy to get out of this town and to be something more than a basketball player. She'd like him to go to college and learn something besides basketball. Unfortunately, the townspeople aren't impressed with the six players on the team and chant for Jimmy at the pep rally. Hackman defends his players and says this is their team, and they demand respect from the town. It was funny to see the guys doing a layup drill, and Ollie, who is probably 5'3", can't even make the layup. individuals have made a choice to work, a choice to sacrifice, to put themselves on the line 23 nights in the next four months, to represent you, this high school. That kind of commitment and effort deserves and demands your respect. 
This is your team. So the first game does not go as planned, and Hackman essentially has one rule in the game plan. No shots until the ball has been passed four times per offensive possession. One of the players, Ray, <laughs> breaks this rule and makes a jumper before the four pass rule is met, and he is benched for disobeying Hackman. The good old days when the coach actually was the boss. LeBron James could not handle Norman Dale as his coach. The problem also, as with youth sports, are the parents. For example, in this game, the parents and townspeople are yelling for the kids to shoot, not realizing what Hackman's strategy is. This is often the case where idiot parents think they know what they're talking about and couldn't coach themselves out of a paper bag, let alone a team. That's always the worst part about childhood sports, the vocal parents who don't know shit. Anyway, I love when one of the guys fouls out and Hackman decides to send a message to the team who the boss really is. He leaves four, not five, guys who obeyed the rules to play on the court. Ray, who could have entered the game, was left on the bench for not following the rules. How many times are we going to pass before we shoot? How many? Four. Four! Set it up! Set it up! fan might be watching this and say, well, the kid made, was making his jumpers, why is the four-pass rule necessary? There are a few reasons for this. When you move the ball around and the players are moving, the odds of getting an open look increases. If guys are essentially standing around and not moving without the ball, you won't get as many open looks. Also, you must remember, this is the era where shot clocks do not exist. Managing the clock and getting the most open shots was essential. 
Now, in the modern game era of ball, especially in the pros, that involves lots of one-on-one play, and the team game is essentially a relic of the past. Though, smaller colleges still use this tactic when they don't have a superstar player. Those of you on the floor at the end, I'm proud of you. Played your guts out. I'm only going to say this one time. All of you have the weekend. Think about whether or not you want to be on this team or not. Under the following condition. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. Come on, guys. Let's listen to what he said. Shut up. Shut up, Ray. One amusing thing about this era of basketball was the set shot. A player essentially raised one leg, but it was not a traditional jump shot. Hackman runs into Barbara Hershey and her mother days after the first game, and the mom invites him to dinner. This is where Hershey starts to warm up to Hackman a little bit. So then Dennis Hopper comes to visit Hackman at Hackman's house. This gives the viewer some insight into Hopper's character that he's not just a drunk, but he does know a lot about basketball, especially the local teams. Now, I couldn't find the clip, but Hopper just plays the scene perfectly in the strategy uh, Hackman should use against his next opponent, which is Cedar Knob. So basically he says, you can't play them all the way man on man. They got no head thumpers. Cedar Knob, a bunch of mites. You run them off the boards you got to squeeze them back in the paint. Make them chuck it from the cheap seats. Watch that purgatory they call a gym. No drive, 12 foot in. That'll do. It's a perfect scene from Hopper, and unfortunately, come game time, Hopper shows up to the stands completely sloshed, which really embarrasses his son and makes him lose focus in the game. What is interesting is during the game is that Buddy returns to the team without any fanfare, which makes me wonder if this was some sort of deleted scene. Buddy left the team after the first practice, but never apologized like the player did with his father. So this is the game where we get to see Hackman's temper as a coach. There was a non-call foul for one of his players during a layup. Hackman then comes on the court to argue with the ref. The ref gives Hackman a technical foul. This then starts an argument with Hackman and the other coach about the play of his players who are basically manhandling the Hickory team. One of the players jabs his finger at Hackman and Ray decides to punch out the other player. Not a bad move for a guy that's in the coach's doghouse. After the fracas between the two teams, Hackman and Ray are ejected, and it looks like Cletus, the assistant coach, might be suffering from some heart issues due to the stress of the brawl. Indeed, after the game, Cletus is on bed rest after suffering a heart attack. In need of an assistant coach, Hackman visits Hopper to offer him a job. But there are conditions. Anybody at home? Domicile here. <laughs> yeah, sit yourself down over there by the fire and warm up. <sighs> this is it. Huh? Yeah. It gets pretty rough during the winter, but I manage. <laughs> you want a little snort? No, thanks. No. Don't mind if I do. I got a proposition for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cleo's gonna be laid up for a while. 
And, uh, I want you to give me a hand. Well, I can, uh, I can tell you anything that you need to know. <laughs> no, you, you don't understand. I want you to be my assistant. I want you to come to practices and, uh, sit on a bench with me during the games. <laughs> me? <laughs> you want me? <laughs> what do you say? Uh, under the following conditions. That you, uh, uh, clean yourself up. And, um, uh, you shave and, uh, 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 show up at the games on time and the practices, and uh, you wear a shirt and tie. Well, I got myself a suit right there. I, I got a wingdinger. I, yeah. I was married in that suit there. And that you're sober. Oh, no. My wife sent you. My son. What? What is my drinking got to do with my knowledge about basketball? You can't drink in front of these boys. If I uh, smell even a trace of liquor on your breath, you'd be finished. I have to hear that from you. You're embarrassing your son. to hear that I, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like you to leave. I'd like you to leave now. next game, to the amazement of everyone, Hopper shows up to the game sober and well-dressed, ready for his assignment. However, the next day in class, Everett, who is Hopper's son in the film, expresses his concern with his dad being a coach. Hackman tries to reason with Everett, saying Hopper deserves a chance to prove himself. And just when the team is starting to gel, the locals have decided to try to remove Hackman as coach, and a town meeting and vote is set up for his dismissal. There's nothing like dealing with the local mob. <laughs> However, the team has one more game, and it couldn't have gone any worse for Hackman as he's ejected for the game. Hopper now must coach the team, much to his horror. Hopper can't handle the pressure, and it looks like Hackman is essentially done as the coach. Before the meeting, Hackman meets with Hershey, and we discover the reason he's in Hickory in the first place. He was suspended from coaching college ball due to an incident where he punched a player while coaching in New York. Sound like Bobby Knight much? The town meeting is one of the many terrific scenes that makes this movie a classic. I've made some mistakes, but they're mistakes I take full responsibility for. I was hired to teach the boys a game of basketball, and I did that to the best of my ability. I apologize for nothing. You may not be pleased with the results, but I am. I'm very proud of these boys. I, um...
I think in order to be fair, I think it'd be a big mistake to let Coach Dale go. Give him a chance. Yes vote means he stays, a no vote he goes. Let's do this as quickly as we can. Don't make any change, but I figure it's time for me to start playing ball. One other thing. I play, coach stays, he goes, I go. Look, wait, uh, he, uh, coach is, uh, dismissed by a vote of 68 to 45. I think we should vote again. Yeah. Yeah. Call for a re-vote. All those in favor of the coach staying, say aye. Aye. Those opposed? Nay. Coach stays. Then, of course, it wouldn't be an 80s movie without an amazing montage, and just like that, Hickory starts playing like a well-oiled machine. Some might say this is not really believable since it's only one player coming onto a team. However, in basketball, it's one of the few sports where, indeed, one player can make a huge difference to a team winning or losing. And Jimmy, being on the roster, allows the entire plan that Hackman envisioned from the start to play out perfectly. One of the things that kids might not appreciate while watching this movie, especially since we are in the era of non-stop three-point shooters, like with the Golden State Warriors, there were no three-point shots way back when. Any field goal, non-free throw, was two points. The NBA did not adopt the three-point line until 1979, and college basketball didn't uniformly adopt the rule until 1986, the same year as this film. The other amusing part about the movie is the sneakers worn by the players. None of these fancy Nike Air Jordans or crazy shoes that everyone wears now. It was Converse, Chuck Taylors, in black, and that's it. 
All these pansies that need proper footwork to step on the court would be in a world of hurt back then. Hopper, for the most part, lives up to his end of the coaching bargain, and with the exception of one slip-up, remains sober. However, he's terrified of Hackman getting kicked out of a game because this means he would have to coach. Hey! Hey, listen to me. I stuck my neck out for you. You live up here in a bargain or get yourself in a hospital and dry out. I didn't think I could cut it. You could cut it. I didn't think I could cut it the other night either, but after what Jimmy did, it would take the Indiana National Guard to get me out of here. Oh, a shot. Hey, we're coming together as a team. With Jimmy, all the pistons are firing. We got 10 games to play, right? We're going to be a tough team to beat. Now, you come along for the ride. But, oh, you got to give me your word that you will not be kicked out of no games. Scout's honor. Scout's honor. (laughs) Another cool thing about small town sports is that literally the whole town follows the team on road trips. There's something endearing about that, and that's something that Ebert alluded to in his review. There's another amazing moment in this movie where Hackman decides to get himself thrown out of the game in order to let Hopper coach and give him confidence. It's a priceless scene. That's a foul on number 21 of the red team. I just want to discuss this with him, all right? Is that pink slop in your eyes? Relax, I didn't have the best day. You're pathetic, you know that? You're getting your nail to your profession. Relax, take me out of the game. Then, during a tie game with seconds remaining, Shooter comes through. You reckon number four will put up their last shot, Dad? Yeah, probably. They've been picking low all night. Yeah. Uh, Wait. Let yourself get taken out. Buddy, you drop down and take his place. Close that lane. All right. Okay, Keith. Uh, this is the last shot that we got, all right? We're going to run the picket fence at him. Merle, you're the swing man. Jimmy, you're solo right. All right, Merle should be open swinging around the end of that fence. Now, boys, don't get caught watching the paint dry. All right, take it. Unfortunately, like all good streaks, Shooter's sober streak comes to a heartbreaking end during the sectional finals and shows up drunk and belligerent to the game due to the pressure. He runs on court, which ends up being a technical foul on Hickory. This leads to his son Everett not being focused on the game and decides to play tougher than he should. 
This leads to a brawl, which causes a major injury to Everett when he is pushed and thrown into a glass trophy case in the gym, which causes the glass to shatter on his shoulder. For this scene, where Dennis Hopper walks onto the court drunk in the middle of the game, Hopper wanted a 10-second notice before calling action. At the 10-second notice, he spun around in circles until action was called, allowing him to stagger onto the court in an awkward fashion in order to appear drunk. He remembered James Dean doing the same thing in Giant in 1956 and Dean had asked George Stevens for 30 seconds so he could spin around to better feel the inebriation. So Hickory pulls out a close victory, but there are major problems as Everett is injured and Hopper is missing after going uh, on a drinking binge. He's found half dead in the snowy woods, likely suffering from hypothermia, though it's never really said. He's admitted to into a hospital to recover and get sober. So then comes the regional finals, which, and even in the 50s, you get the slow clap in the pregame locker room speech, though I'm pretty sure that was a product of 80s filming. There's a um, tradition in tournament play not talk about the next step until you've climbed the one in front of you. I'm sure going to the state finals is beyond your wildest dreams, so let's just keep it right there. Forget about the crowds. The size of the school, their fancy uniforms, and remember what got you here. Focus on the fundamentals that we've gone over time and time again. And most important, don't get caught up thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. Okay? Then comes a lighthearted scene involving the very religious player named Strap. Everett is uh, needs to come out of the game after his stitches are torn during the game, and Strap has to come through. We've got two minutes and 15 seconds, all right? Be patient. Work for the good shot. You got it? Team! Let's go, guys. Come on. Let's go, Strap. Let's go. Strap. God wants you on the floor. And then Buddy fouls out during an offensive charge call, and that means the half player, Ollie, must come in because he's the only one left on the bench. Of course, he ends up on the free throw line needing to make his shots, and he shoots underhanded free throws. To the young viewers, this might look ridiculous. However, one of the greatest free throw shooters of all time, Rick Barry, who's played for the Warriors back in the 70s, used to shoot this way. You actually have more feel and touch shooting underhand free throws. However, players want to act manly and won't shoot like this any longer. All the while, they can't make a simple free throw, though they're making millions of dollars. Frickin' idiots. In any case, there's nothing better to the tension of a game or a movie than having the last player on earth you need to make a big play in the make-or-break situation. I love the scenes where Hackman is instructing the players during the timeout before Ollie has to shoot his free throws. He nonchalantly says, When Ollie makes his second shot, you can't go into this with any doubt in your mind. Then he clarifies, and you will make your second shot before instructing their defensive call. Of course, Ollie comes through. Let's go, guys. 
All right, listen. After Ollie makes his second shot, and you will make your second shot, get back on defense right away. It may just be enough time for them to throw in a desperation talks, okay? All right. Let's go. Put him in, Ollie. Yeah. We then get some more insight about the incident in New York, which led to Hackman being suspended. You always garden in the mud? The almanac says it's time to start planting. Is the almanac always right? Always. The farmer's daughter. Miller's. Miller's. Mother cut my hair. <laughs> yeah, I saw your car. I'd take a walk. That's pretty. Yeah, and uh, late spring, those fields. So green, it looks like Ireland. Huh. <laughs> How I always imagined Ireland would look. <laughs> I've seen it in pictures, postcards. Nice. Do you have to go to Deer Lick some evening uh, taking a movie? Norman Dale, coach of the uh, Ithaca Warriors, was suspended. I, I can't really explain that. It's been a number of years, and it still kind of goes around in my head. I, I slow it down. Sometimes I really think that I can stop my fist from hitting a boy's jaw. One second, everything I'd worked for, it's just all finished. Funny thing, too, he's the best kid that ever played for me. Tough and stubborn and willful. Sounds like someone I know. I love what Hackman does before they get ready for the championship. The team Hickory is playing are bigger and faster, but essentially it's the same game they've always played, even though they're huge underdogs. Hackman has the guys measure the court and the court size and determine it's exactly the same. And it's been said a million times, sports is 90% mental. And everyone loves to root for the underdog. It's the beauty of sports. It's the David vs. Goliath. Buddy? Hold this into the backboard. What is it? Fifteen feet. Fifteen feet. Strap, put Ollie on your shoulders. Measure this uh, from the rim. Buddy? How far? Ten feet. Ten feet. 
I think you'll find us exact same measurements as our gym back in Hickory. <laughs> okay, let's get dressed for practice. And for what happens at the championship? Well, if you've seen the movie, you know what happens. And if you don't, just watch the movie. It's easily the greatest basketball movie ever made. Sorry, Space Jam fans. I will say that there is a scene in the championship game in which one of the players says they will make a crucial shot. It's that sort of confidence that is why the best athletes prove themselves time and time again. Now, I wasn't the greatest athlete in any of the sports I've played, but I did have one of those moments in Little League. The difference was that I wasn't that good, but for one at bat, you know, I, I came through. So my Little League coach was going to pinch hit for me, and it was late in the game, and we were tied, and it was in the playoffs. But I knew I could at least get the bat on the ball and hit the ball hard off the pitcher that was going. And so I told him, like, look, I'll get a hit. And I really, I had no right <laughs> telling the coach that I could get a hit. There was no reason for me to have any confidence because I wasn't having a good year. And guess what? I got up and I blooped a hit, and that's all that matters. And years later, when I ran into the coach, he uh, he was telling me he does motivational spe- speeches, and he actually told he tells he uses this as his story. And it's funny because I kind of forgot about this because you know you're a kid, you you learn other things. And we didn't win the championships that that year; we won it the next year. But he always remembered that. And uh, you know, it's an amazing thing about confidence. Sometimes you can will yourself to do things you didn't think you could really do. All right, some fun facts about the movie. Dennis Hopper was nominated for the Best Supporting Actor, but lost to Donna Michi for Cocoon. However, Hopper felt that he should have been nominated for Blue Velvet instead of Hoosiers. Also, composer Jerry Goldsmith was nominated for his score for the film, but lost out to Herbie Hancock for Round Midnight. As a kid, I was always told this was a true story, but actually it was loosely inspired by the 1954 Indiana State Champions, Milan High School. Milan was indeed a small school in Indiana, and the final moments in the championship game mirrored to what occurred in 1954. The major difference in the movie was that the actual team in 1954 were the favorites to win the championship all along. They weren't underdogs. The script was shopped around for two years by Pizzo and Anspa before landing a modest budget of $6 million. Gene Hackman also predicted that the film was going to be a career killer. Shortly after the film's release, five of the actors who portrayed basketball players in the film were suspended by the NCAA from their real-life college basketball teams for three games. The NCAA determined that they had been paid to play basketball, making them ineligible. What a crock of shit, considering how shady the NCAA comes, you know, when it comes to boosters. Goddamn hypocrites. The movie was renamed Best Shot in Europe because most Europeans wouldn't know what a Hoosier was. Jimmy Chitwood only has four lines of dialogue in the whole movie. He has three lines in the scene where Coach Dale wins the vote to keep his job. Then, I'll make it in the climactic game. The actor playing Ollie once left the set to watch his his own high school basketball team play. He was a senior on the team, and when he got the role and was feeling homesick, he decided to go watch them. The crew had to contact his mother to get him to return. During a happy montage of Hickory winning a string of games, Dale wasn't sh- was shown saying something to Shooter on the bench that made Shooter laugh. It wasn't until years later that David Anspaugh learned what Dennis Hopper was laughing at. 
Gene Hackman had told him, Hopper, I hope you've invested well, because you and I are never going to work after this movie. This is a career-ending film for both of us. <laughs> How wrong was Hackman? Jack Nicholson wanted to play Coach Norman Dale, but was unable to take the role because he was serving as a witness in a lawsuit, which sidelined him for six months. He told producers that he knew they were on a tight schedule to shoot, and if they found another actor to go ahead, if not, he could do it the next year, so Gene Hackman signed. Harry Dean Stanton also turned down the role of Shooter. Supposedly, Hackman and Anspaugh clashed often while making the film, and Hackman was constantly trying to get Anspaugh fired. However, the dailies sent to the studio were positive enough for Anspaugh to keep his job and to keep Hackman off his back. Also, the presence of Dennis Hopper helped calm Hackman down and finish the movie. In the original script, Shooter leaves rehab to watch the state championship. Dennis Hopper, who had just gotten sober, thought it would be detrimental to the story. So they sat down over coffee and he said, Guys, I wish I had brought this up earlier. I knew there was something that bothered me about this scene. It just doesn't work. It can't happen. It would suggest Shooter doesn't take his sobriety seriously. And I know from experience that Shooter made a real commitment. And there's no way he would leave that hospital. Anspaugh recalled all this. And then he said, Angelo and I had been living with the scene in our heads for years. And we really argued against cutting it. And Dennis said, no, trust me. And we trusted him. And he was absolutely right. David Anspaugh and Angela Pizzo wanted to release a two-hour and 48-minute version of the movie, but the studio insisted that he needed to cut it down to 114 minutes. Among the many scenes that uh, were excised was Buddy, Brad Long, asking back on the team, and the two scenes that developed Norman and Myra's budding romance more. And Anspaugh said the audience really got cheated and robbed over the cuts. All right, we have three guests, all that do an amazing job. First, we have Keith Rochford, who you know from many past episodes. He is always excellent. My other brother, Brian, returns, who, of course, gives great insight. And then we have a new guest, Bill Roseberry, who is a sports writer in Illinois and really has some great insights and actually mirrored what Ebert said in his review. Who knows? But maybe it's an Illinois factor. I don't know. In any case, all three are stellar. This is a terrific episode. If you're a fan of basketball, this is a much watch. If you're just a fan of great movies and brilliant acting, I mean, you just got Hackman and, and Hopper alone are worth the price of admission. This is something you must check out. All right. Until next week, this is Brian signing off. All right, we're back, and uh, we got a very special guest. This is our guy off the bench who's going to come in and score 30 points, and that's Keith Rochford, back to talk about Hoosiers. How you doing, Keith? I'm doing good. I don't know about those 30 points. Uh, talking about this movie, I may beat that little guy at the end of the movie who has to come <laughs> off the bench. So, But thanks oh, for the uh, positive influence. I, I like it. <laughs> I love Ollie. He's, he's terrific in that role, but... Uh, yeah, you never know. See, with a with a short bench, you always got to be prepared to come off. And uh, with a with a coach like Gene Hackman, you never know what you're going to get, especially when you get kicked out of the game pretty much every other game. So, yeah, exactly, exactly, it, yeah, man. So I remember when this first came out. I mean, my dad was was definitely all in because he loved Gene Hackman, he loved Dennis Hopper, and he loved, of course, sports and and basketball. Did you see? Did, were you taken to this movie when like when you when it first came out, or was this uh, a VHS rental? This was a, a hot commodity rental when it first came out. Uh, I remember, you know, waiting for somebody to bring it back so my mom and dad could rent it because my parents were big Gene Hackman fans. And it, again, it was like just like similar to you. It's a sports movie. So, you know, they figured it's going to be good for everybody to watch. And my mom and dad enjoyed the sports movies. They're the ones that turned me on to Rocky and all those kind of movies. So, yeah, they were excited to watch it. So. 
Well, now that I'm thinking about it, so what? Give me your. I know I'm putting you on the spot. What are your top five, you know, favorite sports movies? Uh, definitely Rocky. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think about uh, Miracle. Okay. From yep. The, yep. The uh, 1980. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. The hockey team. And for football, there's there's two that I like, and they're two totally different movies. One is Any Given Sunday. Okay. And the other one I like is um. What the hell? What's the name it was with um, Keanu Reeves? Just oh, the, replacements. The, uh, the replacements. Yeah, that's a yeah. fun one. And Gene Hackman's in that too. That's right. He is in that one. Hoosiers is a great movie, and it's. I think it's because it's relatable on so many different levels for people. You know, they they even though you don't delve a lot into the characters, they're able to make you feel like you know who they are. Right. And and did you know? Because I didn't find out two years later that this was this was kind of loosely based on a real team back in the fifties. Uh no. In fact, I I remember when the movie came out. I think my mom and dad thought it was going to be more based on the whole Bobby Knight thing. Mm. Well, that's what's cause it's interesting because Gene Hackman. There's a lot of uh, similarities between him losing his temper and, and of course Bobby Knight. Yeah, but he wasn't throwing chairs or anything. So that's <laughs> the uh, one of the big differences. But no, I didn't know it was part of. Um, Know, based on a true story type thing until I kind of looked into it a little bit more. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. So, no, but they, they do talk about how Norman Dale did get, uh, he lost his first job because he did punch a kid. Yeah, yeah. That's, and it, it, that's one of my notes is that it took so long for them to kind of bring out that dark secret. It kind of made you draw you into the movie a little bit more. Like, why is he at this school doing this? Well, that's one interesting part about the movie, and I think maybe the good part about it. They didn't really follow the typical movie tropes so you kind of saw kind of a romance going with him and barbara hershey but they didn't really dig deep into it and uh this was pretty much a, a basketball tale pretty much tried and true yeah it is and it, it shows you know that any team can be you know victorious depending on the, the type of work ethic that they have which is probably why i like the movie miracle so much because they went with guys that you didn't think were going to be you know, the, the heavy, the quick shots and, the, you know, the fast guys on the court, you know, they they went with guys that, you know, that that's all they had at that point. And he made it work. And I think that's really the interesting part about high school basketball and college basketball, for the most part, uh, where you don't have stars, you have to play together as a team. I mean, I think it's very easy uh, to when you have a team of superstars, whether it be the Warriors with Steph Curry or, uh, you know, LeBron James on a team where they just let those guys take you know do everything and uh and many times I, I you don't play team ball and a lot of times you don't win <laughs> when you just have one guy um at least it's not as fun to watch uh in my opinion no i'm the same way even like when the olympics come around i'd rather watch i like watching the hockey to see where they're at but i'm like eh, it's pros though it's it's kind of like watching an all-star game that doesn't really do much for me Right, right. So immediately as a kid, this you were drawn into it. Did you play basketball at all? Uh, I played grammar school, but not high school basketball. Okay, okay. So what are your favorite parts about the movie? Uh, did it Does it still hold up well for you? And uh, how often do you revisit it? Uh, I haven't watched it in many years. And as, as I got through the movie, I realized why I didn't watch it as I was growing up as much. I'll explain that one later, but okay. Um, some of the, the things that I, I've got notes for the best parts, uh, they Gene Hackman's perfect for that hard-ass kind of coach guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can see that the the heart of gold on the inside. There's just something about the way he portrays the character. You can see 
the, the, the realness in what he's trying to accomplish in it, that it's not just a, you know, I need to get this job done type thing. He really cares for that team. He wants to do well. Um, Dennis Hopper did a, a, a tremendous job in his during this was during his comeback, wasn't it? With like blue velvet time frame too. Yeah, so '86 was a hell of a year for him. So that and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, and uh, I think he was in one other movie. But yeah, it was a hell of a comeback for him. It wasn't at River's Edge or something around. And River's Edge, yes, and he's tremendous. He was actually he said he should have been nominated actually for Blue Velvet and not Hoosiers, which I actually kind of agree with him. Even though he's great in Hoosiers, but he's uh, he's pretty uh, amazing in uh, Blue Velvet. Yeah, and and the, the, just the theme of the movie, how you know this this guy from the outside comes in, has everybody against him in this whole town, mm-hmm. going against the grain of how they've done all of their practices and the players, and he he truly does he he kind of throws the little nods in there of I want this good guy to play, but if you don't want to play, that's fine. Kind of like dangling a carrot, but not really doing it to get Jimmy to come onto the team. But he holds true to the Barb Hershey character of, you know, not going after him because he wants him for the squad. Right. Until he wants to play and finds it, you know, that the kid needs to play because he sees that this guy is really there to create a team and not just, you know, take advantage of a star player. Right. And that's that's obviously the the turning point in the movie. And and, and to me, the, the best scene is is the. Um, you know, he's kind of almost on trial with the town about whether or not they're going to keep him or not. And that's just a brilliant scene. Yeah. And, and the, the thing is, I, I, I like the way that it was it went against kind of what you would go with in a cl- typical cliche of, you know, when when Barbara Hershey stood up and made her little case saying we should give him a chance. Right. Everybody's thinking, all right, now the whole town's gonna, it's going to be close, but it'll be like, you know, 51 to 49 to keep him. Mm-hmm. And when Jimmy comes up and makes his little speech and they say, well, he's voted out. I'm like, hmm, that was different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I forgot that. They, they, they were still ready to oust them, even though, you know, the, the one of the main people in the town you know, gave her her seal of approval. Yeah. And she was the staunchest uh, opposing uh, view when it came to, to him. And, and, and as you said, not wanting Jimmy to play. I got to mention Chelsea Ross, who plays George in this. Uh, did you ever see the movie Major League? Yeah. Okay, because he's the old wily, you know, veteran who uh, drinks Joe Boo's rum, and he's the he's the guy that's kind of against Gene Hackman pretty much from the beginning. Though he, of course, changes his tune once the team starts doing better. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about him. That's right. I was yeah, like, I, I recognize him. Like, I kept thinking, what is he? And the only thing that kept popping in my head was the whole Joe Boo scene. I'm like, that's oh, right, that's right. <laughs> Up your butt, Joe Boo. That is right. Yeah. <laughs> no jinx, Joe Boo's rum. Yeah. The, the, the whole um, Dennis Hopper's character and that that's one of the main reasons why, you know, when I was a kid and we watched it, didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it early teens and I never revisited the movie because growing up realizing that, you know, probably my, my dad probably did have a little bit of a drinking problem, uh. to be honest, not to go dark and, you know, down a different tunnel, but, no, I can admit no. I know that he did mm-hmm. um, probably led to some of the illnesses that he had before he, he passed away. So I'm like, all right, um, probably not the easiest thing to go revisit in a movie. It was just subconsciously didn't go back to it. Right. And that's uh, I'm glad you shared that because that's actually a, a really there's some depth in that character because also his son, you just feel you feel for his son because his son actually cares about his dad a lot. He's just he's just trying to make it. And you, when you're a kid and you're the parent almost, you're I mean, you're taking care of him uh, and they really don't dig deep about why, you know, what happened. They kind of a kind of allude to the wife died. 
And uh, but it doesn't seem like his son really lives with him at all. No, it was it was kind of like he was out in the boonies on his own because mm-hmm. his son was embarrassed. So he, his son stayed away. And I, I understood the, the reasoning and and growing up with that, I, I understood it. So I was like, I um, not probably not going to go revisit that movie. It makes me just too many scabs get pulled off and sure you know, have to revisit. But watching it now, having you know clarity from you know forty plus years of you know being on this earth, it's a different mentality now, and I can go, okay, now I can relate to that character. And it made my heart warm even more seeing somebody like Gene Hackman's character believe in the, in the Dennis Hopper character to get him to try and get clean. And even when he screws up, yeah, the Gene Hackman character is still there and his son is still there. So to me, that was the, the heart of that movie was right there. The whole meaning was if you believe in something, you stand behind it and you will be victorious. And that's a double meaning for both their life and those that team. Absolutely. And it's a story of second chances, not only Gene Hackman, but of course, Dennis Hopper. And I think Gene Hackman understood that perfectly. Um, and he, but he also if, if Dennis Hopper wasn't brilliant, he did. He was actually brilliant in, in what, what he saw uh, if he wasn't drinking. And so if he could just keep him clean, everyone would benefit from that. And Gene Hackman knew that and, and knew that he would bring something to the team and also to his son. Yep, exactly. And that, that was the, the whole thing in the movie, the whole second chances and you just never know who's going to be able to, to pull it off. And I thought that was great about it. Now, the final, uh, without giving things away, but I think most people <laughs> kind of know what happens. But how, how did you feel about the final game? Did it did it live up or did it seem too cliche? Like, uh, how do you feel about it now? I think looking back at it, you, you might think that it's cliche. But the way they give it a hero's ending, you know, just I, I would have liked, I think, more of a, a team effort to win the game as opposed to feed the ball to Jimmy, feed the ball to Jimmy. Right. Uh, I think, but I think they knew that also that that was the only way that they could win and get back in the game. Cause they were losing yeah. by a lot. Yeah. They were losing by a lot. And because the, the team, the opposing team knew how they played. So they knew that they were going to pass the ball around and you have to have four passes before right. you shoot. So <laughs> I'm going to, we know how to, we know how to defend that. We have the, the ability to defend that that's what our game plan is going in so now if you change your game plan in in the middle of the game at a timeout and say all right just feed me the ball all of a sudden it seems like what the hell is going on now so i get the the having to feed jimmy so that was okay i maybe if they gave somebody else the the final shot would have been cool but having ollie come off the bench was great oh absolutely and and you know this um this is where it follows the true story because the team that won in real life uh, they won on the last second shot as well. So I think that's where they kind of the championship game more than anything follows what the true story was really like. OK, yeah, I, I didn't really read into it. I just saw that it was and I'm like, all right, well, that's cool. I like when when at least it's a real true story as opposed to when they do like the horror movies. And sure. Based upon events that may have happened <laughs> fictionally somewhat in a road on this town, you know, right. whatever. <laughs> Well, it's also interesting watching this. If you if you only know basketball for modern day, way back when there was no shot clock, so you could basically stall. And there were games where there was next to no scoring. So basketball is entirely different. There were no three point shots. Um, it, you know, it's run and gun now. Well, back then there was a method to the madness of passing because you wanted to really get the best shot possible, and you had as much time to do that. So if you ever got a lead, you could stall. Yep, I, and I remember that was how when we were growing up, the the it was the only timing that you had was if you're in the box, you had to get in and out of the box within like 
10 seconds or whatever. Right. You couldn't be under the, the net. So I do remember that growing up that you could stall and hold on to your lead a little bit more. And, and that that's, I think if people don't understand that, that would be something that they have to go back and visit. Cause it's not about running down the court and LeBron Jamesing it all the time. So that's right. And back then they didn't really have jump shots for the most part. They had a thing called a set shot where you basically you're, you're shooting flat footed almost. And uh, yeah, totally, totally different ball game. And uh, one of the reasons I love baseball so much is it's really the only sport where you can't run out the clock. You need to get all the outs, no matter what you can't stall. And pretty much every other sport you could stall if you wanted to. Yeah, and I never thought about it that way. Yeah, there, there's no stalling in baseball. No, there can't be. All you're doing no. is just gonna, you're just going to be there longer. You know, <laughs> it's already three hours long. Exactly. I mean, long. <laughs> oh man. Well, this has been awesome. Do you have any other thoughts? And um, and do you, do you think you're going to keep going back to this movie? Uh, I, I may be revisited a couple more times now that I've, I've kind of dusted it off and revisited it. And anybody that hasn't seen it and just think it's you know, your typical sports movie, I think they should try and give it a chance because if you put it in the time frame of being you know 30 plus years old, it's it should be thought of as one of the classics up there, I think. Absolutely. And and to me, the acting is second to none. That's what really carries this home. The story's great, but without Gene Hackman, Barbara Hershey, Dennis Hopper, I mean, I, this movie wouldn't be the same. No, and you have, you know, you have actual character depth, even though I don't know if they were really trying to go for that at times. I mean, you, you see, you know, again, the second chances for different people and yep. just seeing people come together like that, whether it's for the team or for their personal lives, is, is it's actually a really great, great story behind it. So, right. It's yeah, very I would definitely revisit it then. Absolutely. OK, we're back with my other brother, Brian. It's been way too long. Yeah. And- he is my shooter to Coach Norman Dale. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so welcome well, back. I'll take it. Although maybe I'm a little more sober than shooter. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> oh yeah, man. You know, I mean, since we since you mentioned him, I think Dennis Hopper is actually my my favorite character in the movie. Uh, I, shooter. Yeah. I mean, without him, I mean, the movie's going to be great regardless. But there's just yeah. something about Dennis Hopper, and uh, especially this year. Uh, 1986 not only was he in Hoosiers where he's nominated for best supporting actor he was in Blue Velvet yeah he was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and he was oh. in River's Edge so terrific oh, so he's a, yeah, had a big year yeah he uh, I was just reading some trivia about this movie and it, he commented that he thought that he should have been nominated he was nominated for Hoosiers as the best supporting actor which you know I was deserved but um, he w- wanted to really be nominated for Blue Velvet which probably would have been even more appropriate. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that—that's a brutal role that he had. I mean, yeah. this is definitely more uh, family friendly <laughs> in some <laughs> in some aspects, not not all aspects. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you know this is another thing I was thinking about Hoosiers is that if it were made today, I don't know if a movie like this would be made today, but if it were made today, I think that Dennis Hopper's character would be a little bit more hard edged. I think. I think you're right, and I think there probably would have been a. Uh, even more of an edge to Gene Hackman, which at the time he seemed pretty Bobby Knight esque, you know, especially yeah. uh, punching a kid to get yes. basically thrown out of his first job, even though they don't show anything, but it's yeah. it's, it's talked about. Yeah, I also think it's good that it's really truly a sports story. They they kind of allude to a romance, but they really don't get into it. Yeah, it's very simple. I think that's one of the things about this movie too, is that I don't think you would see a movie like this again, because it's just like a very, it's very straight up about the, the 
I don't know if allegory is the right word. It's kind of like a fable or allegory or just a like a just a simple story and it has it's it's like a I don't know like a a fantasy in a way where you just you're just focused on this small town and in a moment in time and the characters are kind of in this in this moment in time. There's not a, like you hear some backstory of them and they kind of reveal some of their character, but um, you don't get a lot. So it's just more it's just kind of focused on the the events of the time and kind of the emotions around that. Absolutely. And as you know, everyone loves an underdog story. And this yes. is the ultimate underdog story, <laughs> even though it is kind Very of based much. on a true story, you know? Yeah. Although, yeah, the the true story part, apparently the it was based on the team from Milan, Indiana, and right. they were similarly similarly small school, but they weren't exactly underdogs. They actually exactly. had really talented players, so they were they were favored actually to do well and it wasn't as big a deal as like as the Hoosiers movie. Yeah. But right. They took it kind of inspired it inspired the movie though. Absolutely. Sure. And and from what I read, the championship game is the real I think what they uh took most from the real story because it did end on a game winning shot and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like and actually the guy who uh who announced the game in the movie was the original announcer from that. Oh, that's great trivia. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so kinda, and then I think there was another uh, one of the players from that Milan team appeared in, in a cameo role in the movie, too. That's true. That That's good stuff. So do you remember? Did you see this in the theater? Did did you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. My dad, I think my whole family went, but um, I definitely remember going with my dad. And we, yeah, we were excited to see it. I don't know if my mom and sister liked it as much. <laughs> I think they enjoyed it. But it was I mean, my my parents or my family likes basketball in general. So I think. It was all around, like, well-received back when we watched it. Yeah, I remember my dad absolutely loving this movie, because at this point, I don't recall any great basketball movies. I don't remember anything, like, yeah, there haven't really been that many basketball movies. I haven't, I still haven't seen He Got Game, but right. uh, Hoop Dreams is also considered one of the best ones, although it's a totally different type of movie, because it's a three-hour documentary, so right. <laughs> it's like apples and oranges, if you compare the two. And there's blue chips and blue chips. Yeah, yeah. that was fun. <laughs> and Space <laughs> so Jam. It's Space Jam. Yeah, I don't know, it's, it's more of a cartoon than anything. But yeah. It is, and, and LeBron's <laughs> always trying to chase that Michael Jordan dragon. That's why he's remaking it or doing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I remember my dad was really interested because of one Gene Hackman. I mean, he's everything Gene Hackman's in is brilliant, and yeah, he was, he's a basketball fan. Yeah, Gene Hackman's great. Um, I think. It, at the time, I probably thought he was the best thing in the movie. But now, as I watch the movie now, I, I think the, I think his character is interesting. But the, I think um, Shooter, you know, Dennis Hopper is is a little bit more interesting character because you know you see him in, in the relationship with his son, and I think the kind of the romance between Gene Hackman and Barbara Hershey is a little bit flat for me. Yeah, I don't know what, what do you think about that? I agree. I, I think they almost did it on purpose because I don't think they wanted to distract from the sports of it. Yeah, well, that's true. I just I didn't I guess I, what I mean is that flat is that they didn't really have a lot of chemistry, I thought. Maybe that's, at the time, yeah. but like watching it again, I didn't I think it was kind of like, well, they probably could have just made it so that they were friends instead of like trying to have this romance. But yeah, that almost seemed a little forced in it. And that's yeah. true, because I think. She was definitely uh, she didn't know what to make of him at first. Mm -hmm. And I think he really had to prove himself. And I think he did it by really not going after 
the star player after going mm-hmm. not going after Jimmy. If anything, kind of just saying, you know, <laughs> do what you want. We're we're yeah. gonna carry on without you. And then yeah, and he then he not only tried to you know redeem himself, but he tried to redeem Shooter. You yes, know, to to his son. So I think he tried to you know he worked. He worked to earn his <laughs> his redemption. So that's a great point because uh, I just spoke with uh, Keith Rochford, who actually did Hoosiers as well, and he brought mm-hmm. up it, it's it's really is a redemption story and second chances because not only yeah. is it a second chance for Shooter, but really it's a second chance for Gene Hackman. Yeah. So how how often did you watch this as a kid, and ha- do you revisit it uh, often as an adult? So let's see. When I, I saw it in the theater, and then we probably rented it when it came out on video so you know this is back in the vhs day so it did i don't think it was out right away and we but i'm sure we rented it at least once and then i think i saw it on cable a couple times and um i i've watched it throughout the years but like this i watched it very recently and i hadn't watched it in quite a few years so but it, yeah it wasn't a regular kind of a regular rotation of every few years i'd watch i'd watch the movie because or maybe in some i think in some cases i watch it every year around you know the beginning of the basketball season ah, okay <laughs> kind of what so, i used that kind of what i used to do with the natural too I would, right around around spring training well i'm glad you brought up the natural because there is a tie-in to the natural and that's ah. barbara hershey yeah and uh, and then tie into another sports movie, you get Chelsea Ross, who, of course, is the grizzled old veteran in the movie Major League who drinks Joe Boo's rum. <laughs> nice. Because he's the Yeah, he's great. I, I, yeah, he's good in both movies. But yeah, he's he's so funny in Major League. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's terrific. No, I'm just. No, I was just going to mention in Major League how he has the. He's like the Gaylord Perry stand-in, where he's yes. got also like the, <laughs> the Vaseline or whatever. Yeah, he didn't throw <laughs> a football. He throws yeah. a baseball. Baseball. Yeah, yeah. So watching it again, does it still hold up for you? Hoosiers, that is. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, overall, the movie still holds up, um, especially if you just kind of take it as like this kind of you know, simple basketball story, and not so much as like if you try and put modern values or a modern look on it i don't i don't know if it would hold up I, like i kind of wonder what younger generations would think about right. it. um so maybe you got to get it you know one of our you know millennial colleagues on that yeah see. that's a good point <laughs> i don't know if rachel's it. ever seen it because uh, she's yeah. a big basketball fan yeah maybe uh, I, it'd be interesting it. yeah but um uh, yeah because i read i think i read some review from Bleacher Report. I was just kind of, you know, browsing around to see what people have written about it. And sure. someone from Bleacher Report, I think, wrote something and they just kind of completely panned the movie, which, you know, I think some of the criticism is valid, but it seemed like it was someone who, you know, was much younger and done, didn't under, understand the context of the movie at the time. And right. I was, yeah, I was thinking about the kind of the timeline where that movie came out in 86 and it was, mm-hmm. took place in like the early 50s. So, right. The distance between that movie and the time it took it took place is almost the same distance as like when the movie came out and now. So it's mm-hmm. like the you know two whole or more you know a few generations of distance. So I think like you know growing up in the 80s, you were more connected to the 50s because you had you know parents or grandparents that lived then and now like if you grew up and later then you you might would be less connected to to the 50s i think 
That's a perfect point. And and as you remember the eighties, it was always the fifties nostalgia, whether it be yeah, back, back to, to the, the future. future. Yeah. Yeah, but the eighties was big on fifties nostalgia. So. Absolutely. <laughs> and you bring up a good point. Basketball, especially in the fifties and in high school and college, was completely different. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, no three point line, no shot clock, you know. And I mean very like the athleticism compared to oh. is just you know utterly different it's like a totally different game like you can see like this and they I mean, they were even running some weird plays like they do that picket fence play and sure. where they have like two or three guys setting a pick which is like you know you wouldn't see that at all never well it's pick. it was more of a team <laughs> sport because it had to be you didn't have i mean jimmy was of course a, a the steph curry of his era and yeah exactly <laughs> but even then he was he was taking good shots you know he wasn't taking crazy shots just to get a three-pointer it was yeah, still game, you know? barely barely any above the rim game and like yeah. layups were even kind of like hard to get it seems like right it was kind of outside shot outside shot and as my dad liked to say the old set shot before guys were doing jump shots oh yeah that was another thing i was thinking like how yeah some of you know some of them aren't even shooting jump shots and they're not <laughs> they're not getting blocked either so it's exactly like no one got off the ground <laughs> <laughs> well and then of course the great scene with with the little guy ollie who was then doing like the you know the the, the granny shot the hand, the, yeah. yeah on the yeah, free throw line which rick barry free throw <laughs> exactly and people forget about it and it's kind of ridiculous because rick barry had one of the best percentages free throw wise because you actually have more touch doing it yeah. his way, but it it, yeah. it doesn't look cool, so no. guys don't want to do it. Yeah, you get made fun of if you're doing. <laughs> and it's ridiculous so, because a guy like Shaq, who would just get fouled, the old hack of Shaq, yeah. uh, would forgo doing it the right way just so he wouldn't look like uh, you know, so he wouldn't yeah. be made fun of, which is ridiculous. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> I know he he did fine. The Hall of Fame, or, exactly. Or, yeah, so. <laughs> But I think that's the fun part about watching this. It's a toy. If you you can't think of it as today's game, you have to think of it oh, as a timepiece. Just yeah, you have to yeah, exactly. It's like a time capsule of base, uh, basketball in the fifties, and that's a, you know, and then you know, the, you have the redemption story. So yeah, it's good. Definitely holds up for me. I don't, I don't. It'd be interesting to hear though from younger generations to see what they think of it. Now. Yeah, I agree. But, or whether they saw it even as kids and whether what they thought of it then and and now. Yeah, I think they would be kind of, yeah, no slam dunks. None of that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of people wouldn't get what the big deal about what Gene Hackman was trying to do with the you can't shoot unless you pass four times. That's totally foreign. Yeah, yeah, that's a much different thing. I mean, you know, to some extent, like the recent Warriors teams have, have tried to do some of that where they just try and distribute the ball a lot but yeah. then you know you still frequently see steph curry sh- pull up and shoot a three before hand, you know anyone else touches the ball so it's you know it's a totally different game it's basketball kind of in name but not a <laughs> the Absolutely. way they played then and now is you know so much difference you know like 60 years of, <laughs> of change so it's quite a bit you could basically say that about all of the major sports, with the exception of hockey, because baseball is all home runs now, or at least guys trying to hit home runs. Yeah, home and runs are strikeouts. Right? Exa- exactly, which is, uh, to me, ruining the sport, along yeah. with uh, football, which is the run game's pretty much gone now. It's all passing. Yeah, you got to pass, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then in basketball, it's, it's you know, 53 pointers a game, which is unheard of. Yep. So I'm curious though, what's your uh, what? Where do you have this ranked in in your sports movies? Oh, it's in the top five. It's by far the best basketball movie. I can't think of a better basketball movie. Yeah, I really, yeah, I really can't either. I, I like as for as much as like I like Hoop Dreams. I don't think I really want to revisit that movie. Maybe someday I will, but like it, you know, it's just like a really 
good documentary, but uh, like something that's I'm going to watch all the time. <laughs> yeah. And not only just is it a good story, it's just really well acted. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Gene Hackman and Dennis Hopper, you know, in their prime and Barbara Hershey is good, although I think her character is a little flat, but she's definitely a great actress. And then all sure. the, you know, like the side characters, the kids were actually all. I think they were just regular high school basketball players. They weren't even actors. So I think they had like, you get this kind of realism from, from that. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of endearing that way. Like mm-hmm. they don't come off as uh, like teen wolf. I should be, te- I like teen wolf. <laughs> but yeah, not basketball, basketball movie. Kind of. <laughs> Somewhat. Well, it's better than teen wolf too, where they get Jason <laughs> Bateman box. Yeah. <laughs> on that note we better end right. before people start tuning out <laughs> yeah, all right <laughs> as always thank you so much brian thanks a lot brian all right we have an awesome first time guest today and it's bill roseberry who you might know if you listen to the metal mike show every friday night starting at 6 p.m eastern only on that metalstation.com however in addition to his love of music bill's main profession is as a sports writer and what better movie to get off the podcast bench than the 1986 classic Hoosiers. Welcome to the show, Bill. How's it going, man? I appreciate this. I'm popping my podcast cherry today. That's right. That's right. You're the. We, we won't call you the sixth man. You're you're we're, you're starting today. You know, Mike, we're putting Mike on the bench for this. One. <laughs> I thought this was a perfect way to to get you going, and and I love you guys on that metal station and uh yeah this this was going to be like kind of a natural for you you know you're kind of like jimmy then <laughs> right well i don't know if i have that good of a shot but uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm more so, like the uh the kid that did the uh um the underhand free throw shooting there oh the, yeah what's his name i can't remember his name ollie now, but, uh, ollie. ollie yeah that's that's probably more me <laughs> and that what a great scene in, in that part, you know, because, you know, it just goes to show how small that school was. And, you know, I, I think they literally had maybe seven guys on the team or as they called it, six and a half. So, right. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, I see that a lot. Um, you know, I cover work for a community newspaper out of uh, right outside of St. Louis called The Advantage. And um, we do a lot of small town coverage of sports and everything and um those small schools man a lot of times they don't have they don't cut players right so they'll just uh have whoever and some of them are are not very good you know and so so i kind of especially as you get out in more rural areas i mean i think hoosiers i kind of identify with it a little bit because illinois and indiana are very similar in their love of basketball and Mm -hmm. the way you know, the way th- the game's played. Uh, so Hoosiers, that's a reference a lot of times at these small town schools. You see that a lot. Um, you know, go to a gym and you'll hear other sports writers or parents or coaches say, God, this is like it's straight out of Hoosiers. You know? right. I mean, <laughs> that's a that I hear that statement several times a season. So. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's what. um what makes me kind of identify with that? I think the fun part about Hoosiers, the difference between high schools, college, and then pro sports, is the coach really does actually have control over the team, where is in the NBA now, the players basically run the asylum. Right, exactly. And and it's kind of refreshing to see, you know, whether he has some Bobby Knight traits or not, because <laughs> they do allude to he, he got into trouble for hitting a kid. Uh, but you can see the passions definitely there. Right. One of the things that I thought 
think is interesting about Hoosiers that I wanted to touch on a little bit is like I, like I was saying, I bring a little perspective, you know, with this movie when uh, around here, if, if you hire, if a coach is hired, that's like, didn't grow up in the area. He's an outsider. He comes mm-hmm. in, he's not generally embraced right away. You know, it, everybody's a little standoffish with him. People say things like, well, this is the way it's done around here, much like they did to Normandale, uh, you know, in Hoosiers. And, you know, I I had an example of this as a a coach that that coached at my alma mater. He actually grew up in Iowa and had had done his coaching up in northern Illinois, and nobody knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And he'd applied for the job, and he nailed the interview, and when they hired him, there was a lot of apprehensive people. People didn't welcome him with open arms. And, um, you know, they would say things like, well, this is the way things are done around here. And though he never won a state championship, he's had a lot of success um, at that school. He actually stepped down this past year for some, for family reasons, not for anything else. But, um, you know, he's he's won some regional titles, had success. And as he built that success... Then everybody got on board with him, but it's right. really it's really like that. I mean, that's what I thought. Where art imitating life with Hoosiers is that these parents and community members that's that's really how it is in in small rural um, you know rural teams like that. And if you win, you're you've basically become immortal. I that's mean, that's right. another thing here in the town that I live in the the baseball team. Um, there's an old coach that won two state championships, and I mean, he is—he's a rock star in this town. I mean, oh, everybody absolutely. knows who he is, and uh, the guy who coaches the team now took over for him mm. back in 1999, and he—he played—he'd been in two state championships and been to state a few times over the years and never won, and that always kind of hung over his head. This year, he won a state championship, and now, now I love him. Yeah. Now he's he's beloved on that same level. I mean, he got to throw out a first pitch at a Cardinal game. And oh, wow. He gave, gave me and a couple of other uh, riders in the area tickets to come to the game. And, I mean, he was just on, on cloud nine. And the way he was treated after that, I mean, it was it's really cool. And, and uh, you know, Hoosiers kind of embraced uh, – they, they kind of captured all that. Winning a state championship is in a very emotional time. Mm-hmm. And – I mean, they. I think they capture all that stuff surrounding that really well. Oh yeah, and as my my dad always used to say, winning is the greatest deodorant. You know, <laughs> so yes. they yes. might hate you, but once you win, you're you're the greatest thing ever. And it's kind of like uh, you know Bruce Bochy with the San Francisco Giants. You know, he is going. To, he is a legend just by winning once. Now that he won three times, I can only I, imagine whoever the next manager of the Giants is going to be starting next year. I there's no way they can live up to that. No, I mean I I can relate to that here with being a Cardinals fan too. Oh yeah, with Larusa and Herzog and and I I covered some uh, a handful of Cardinals games and he is he's not fun to deal with Tony Larusa. I mean he he really isn't. Uh, he's he's kind of a prickly you know guy, very defensive. You know I'm not a huge fan maybe personally, but I mean I can't deny what he did for the team and he's a legend in his own right. When he, walks he is out. He here. is out here too because of the A's. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, so you you were familiar with how he was, you know, when you oh, were yeah. growing up. 
yeah. same way. He he didn't he did things his own way, and he didn't exactly. give a shit. You know, he did not care. But you know, when you win, you're you're considered. Uh, you know, well, you put up with his little quirks. If he wasn't winning, then he wears out his welcome quickly, kind of like Jim Harbaugh. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's. That's that's uh, that's a good comparison, yeah. So he doesn't stay anywhere really a long time. So. <laughs> no, yeah. no. So uh, had you talked about some of the other? I, there was just some notes I wrote down about the movie too. That, yeah, that let's, I let's were hear them. Yeah. The fact that uh, I, I never knew this till the other day. I was checking checking on some stuff that originally Jack Nicholson was picked to play yes. Norman Dale, turned it down, and then they went to Robert Duvall. Before Hackman, I thought that was Robert Duvall. I could really see the Gene, the, the the Jack Nicholson was was really interesting to me. How would he have done that role? You know, yeah, I mean, that's you know, he, weird. he's almost too much of a yeah. of a figure. He would he would overshadow the role, kind of like Jack Nicholson was supposed to be the old man in a Christmas story instead of Darren McGavin. Huh. And as as great as Nicholson is, and I love him, the you couldn't have a star like that. That's why Darren McGavin was so good in that. And and even though Gene Hackman's a star, um, he really, he's perfect for the role. I couldn't imagine anyone else playing him. Right. And, and you know, oddly enough, too, uh, I read something that he didn't believe in the role. He thought it was going to be a career killer. He thought and it was, the, yeah. He thought the movie was terrible. Yeah. yeah. That's It just goes to show you know, when you're in the middle of it, you don't know how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, obviously it's based on a true story, loosely based uh, right. on Milan High School there in Indiana. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, some another interesting fact, back to basketball stuff, to show you just how – entrenched basketball is in in the uh culture around here uh mm-hmm. i don't know if you knew this but in the state of illinois we actually have march madness is is a copyrighted part of the state of illinois we created that years oh, ago really? i did know tournament. that no so every year when we when we have i go to i go to the uh, large school state tournament every year and watch basketball okay and uh they they're able to use March Madness with everything they do. The NCAA has to pay the Illinois High School Sports Association to use March Madness, and rightfully so. And, and no other state in the country can say March Madness with their and they play that up too. They go, you know, Illinois, the home of the original March Madness, yeah, where it all began, and yeah, and so so uh, yeah. I mean, Indiana and Illinois, when it comes to basketball are you know it's just so entrenched in the culture I, and i mean just for me going to state I, i've seen Derek rose i've seen andre Gudala, i've seen mm. sean livingston i've seen jabari parker i've seen jalen brunson i've seen you know jaleel okafor uh you know eddie curry back in the day uh, yeah i've seen so many great players um fred van vliet um uh-huh chase on randall so many great players if have uh, come through the state of Illinois and played at the state tournament. And, um, you know, it, it's 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 just a big deal around here. So do you prefer covering college, high school, as, a, as opposed to the pros? Well, I mean, my focus as a community newspaper is covering uh, the high school level. And I would say, I guess the, the one aspect of covering college and pros that's better is you don't have to worry about ever keeping stats or doing You basically just sit oh, there true. and watch the game. Because <laughs> yeah. they do all the work for you. Yeah. When you're covering high school, 
you know, it, you know, a lot of times covering the the pro. See, my my paper, I take photos even too. So oh, I have a okay. camera around my neck. And, so if I'm covering a high school game, I got a scorebook in my hand, a camera <laughs> around my neck, my phone in my pocket, so I can tweet stuff out as it's going. I mean, right. I'm doing like five different things. If I'm covering, you know, college or pro, I'm sitting back and just tweeting, you know, and and everything else is handed to me for me to write my story. But, but still, there there's still kind of a romantic, you know, romanticism with the high school level, you know, um, especially when the kids are win a state championship. I've had, you know, the blessing to cover a few, and I mean, it never gets old watching a state championship. Yeah, I would say there's probably less pretentiousness in high school than, you know, as you get into college and and, and the pros. And so it's kind of cool. You get to be like a Swiss Army knife in your job. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, the only thing is, and, and this is another thing Hoosiers captured, was, and I am touched on this a little bit, too, is just the difficulty of the parents. Uh, now, I'm not a parent myself, so, you know, maybe I don't fully grasp the concept of that, but parents really walk around with blinders on oh of course and, and i mean i deal with them as a writer and they can be pretty annoying sometimes but mm-hmm. it, when you talk to the coaches about it it's tenfold i mean oh. god these coaches some of the parents they just they just try and stay away from them as much as possible because oh they're, yeah they're, they're the so uh awful. they're like those uh runway moms you know <laughs> the one they yes. credit yeah they're the worst <laughs> and most of them have gotten gotten worse yeah uh, you know, one one guy in particular, and and then I know we're we're getting here. No, know, I love this. Um, I love uh, this. This guy's kind of a big deal nationally right now. If you know anything about college football, uh, and I got to cover him in high school. His name's H. A. Epinesa. Okay. Um, he's a defensive end at Iowa, and he's he's picked right now to go into the top ten of the NFL draft um, after for next year. Um, I mean, he's huge. He's a six. 6'5", 260, 270-pound uh, kid from American Samoa, and he grew up right here in Edwardsville, Illinois, um, where I'm at, and his dad was a huge star at at, uh, at Iowa. He grew up in American Samoa. And anyway, AJ's an example who kind of bucks that trend. His father, and maybe it's just because he was so entrenched in athletics for so long, is one of the coolest people you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. And he does things to try and build team community. When when AJ was in high school here at Edwardsville, every Friday night they would go back to their home and have a barbecue and invite all the team over, the coaches, the parents. Um, it was just a very family-oriented thing. And, and I always respected his dad, who's – is funny enough his his dad's name is Epi Epinesa. Yeah. <laughs> so and like I said, anybody that, that knows Iowa football, these guys are absolute legends. And AJ right. will will play in the NFL barring an injury. But mm-hmm. uh, but you know it was just so cool how they embraced that that culture and and you know Epi kind of took some of that 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 stuff out of it with the parents, you know, and made everybody kind of come together as one and it really he helped un- he, he understood you know he yeah. knows what's going on and he could have been the worst because right. his son and his son was the same way his son brought team the team together and it's why he's successful because he's not a me 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 player you know and well that's uh, what true true leaders do that 
Yes, exactly. And and that watching that leadership from from AJ and and Epi, I mean, it was so it was so cool. And you know, I think as I as I'm further and further removed with that now, AJ's a junior in college and becoming this you know mega star. You know, I really appreciated that time of 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 getting to be around them and watch watch how they did things. It was really well, cool. Well, I think you know you see that with guys like Mike Trout, who never seemed to change. Uh, the the you know from high school to now, I mean they've they've documented how he's just the same guy. And I think, you know, you see the difference between a guy like that and a guy like Barry Bonds, where Barry Bonds, you know, his right. dad was very famous. His dad was in the limelight, and Barry went the other way. You know, he was, yeah. you know, not like that at all. And so yeah, it could really go either way. And, and regarding the parents, I'll never forget my dad. Before he had me, he was he worked for the uh, city uh, of Belmont, where where I grew up. And he would coach youth sports. And, you know, a lot of times he would get flack from the parents. And this is Little League. This is like, you know, right. this is not oh, even high school ball. Yeah. And he was saying, why, why aren't you playing my son? Why are you playing that kid that isn't that good? And my dad had to, you know, basically tell him, like, look, this kid is never going to play past this level. Your kid is going to. He's going to keep it, you know. So give this kid who's not going to play a lot a chance to at least give him the experience. Your kid's going to be fine. But the parents, like you said, have blinders and, and they let and they just they don't understand. I remember my <laughs> going back one one other story. I asked my dad, you know, you think I can make the all-star team? He's like, yeah, I could politic to get you on, but you don't deserve <laughs> it. You don't deserve it. And he, he was right. And so at the time, you know, I'm 10 years old. I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, but he was right. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't nearly an all-star, but that's what some parents do. They're, they take their their average kids and, and politic to get them on the all-star team, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I see that kind of stuff all the time. And, um, you know, and, and so when you see the – Every now and then you'll see the really great ones come through and uh, and they just understand what it's like to be a leader. And you can mm-hmm. tell those are the people that are going somewhere in life. And that's what that's the beauty of sports, I think, um, you know, is some of those life lessons and things you watch. Uh, another quick one, there was a, a, a female basketball player who plays Division One basketball now in college here at, at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, uh, there in the Ohio. Ohio Valley Conference, but she played at a uh, small high school um, that I covered in Bethalto, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And she's their all-time leading scorer, and I remember they made it into a super sectional, a win away from getting to state, and she uh, she fouled out of the game late, and they ended up losing. But I had a picture. I took I took this picture because Allie, instead of going and pouting on the bench and sitting down and uh and being upset over what she did she immediately went over and she's standing next to the head coach and the assistant coach and pointing out where players should be defensively on the floor and telling them to watch out for screens and she she turned herself into a coach and i mean when i saw that i told i told her coach afterwards i said i said man i said jd that that was the coolest thing that i saw out of that is she's a she's special man i mean for her to do that at 17 years old and and put her her personal feelings aside for the good of the group i'm like that's that's the beauty of sports absolutely she did that a lot um there was a a guy that's a personal trainer that that i know too the interior town and he works with a lot of the teams and he said she could do everything perfectly like box jumps whatever you needed to do she was so athletic 
as, and she, as she would do it, some of the girls at the end of the bench would struggle struggle doing those things. And Todd said, Allie would go back and help them. Mm-hmm. And she would kind of stop her workout and kind of go and, and help show them what they needed to do until they could get through the workout that they were doing and really motivated them and encouraged them. Well, that, you know, that's where sports translates to life, especially team sports. And you can always tell people that either aren't into sports or weren't, didn't play team sports because there is a certain, you know, element that you, you learn in those leaders, you know, rise up and they help others. And when you get into, you know, the real world and start working, you can tell those people that, you know, we're team players and uh, and that we're leaders because it does translate to real life. And she's going to be successful in life because of yeah, exactly. that. And you can tell. Yeah. And you use that and we'll go back to the movie here. And then I know, you know, we got to be close, wrapping things up. But, you know, that takes me back to the Barbara Hershey character. Yeah. She was obviously a person who wasn't you know, she didn't believe in sports. She thought sports were that everyone's treated like gods when they mm-hmm. do that. You know, she really talked down on it. And, and I mean, yeah, she's a, a perfect example of somebody who, you know, was kind of anti-sports. And you get a lot of that, too, with teachers and and, and, and different things. And, and so I, I like that perspective of the movie, too, and how as they won and she saw how he brought them together as a team, she started to see the life lessons that come through it because let's face it when you get a job in the real world most of the time you're going to be working in a team environment absolutely if you've grown up playing team sports you understand what it's like to be in a team environment and i know what it's like i had guys i absolutely hated yep that i played <laughs> baseball with growing up absolutely hated them and, and and don't care about them today but i also have lifelong relationships that i built from the time i was a small child Yep. Playing baseball, those people. And I learned how to adapt and be able to work in a team environment with yep. people that I that were my friends and people that I did not like. And that's yeah, you, you have to put your, you put your yeah, exactly. You put your feelings aside for the good of the team or the good of the project if in the work environment. You have to. Right, right. And, you know, another thing about this movie, and, and I interviewed my other brother, Brian, for uh, for Hoosiers, too, and, and he brought up a good point. This is a movie about second chances, too, you know, yes. uh, not only for Gene Hackman, but also for Dennis Hopper, who was amazing in this movie. Oh, he was. Um, and Mike brought up a good point uh, about Dennis Hopper, too. You hadn't seen much out of him as an actor coming into Hoosiers, and he did, you know, uh, uh, Blue Velvet that same year, and he did. Oh, yeah. Uh, River's Edge, which is a movie Mike told me about. I'm not familiar with that, but, you know, Blue Velvet, I absolutely love. So it was a big year for Dennis Hopper. And- uh, the other movie he did was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which a lot of people like. Oh, oh I forgot he was yeah. in that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so do you, are you familiar with that River's Edge movie? Oh, I love it. I mean, that okay. was I've never yeah. seen it. So. Oh, definitely check that out. It's it's a it's a definitely a sign of the 80s. And uh, it's I I'm not sure if it's based on a. I think it's based on a true story as well, where these kids found a body and didn't say anything about it. They just, <laughs> it was, and it was their friends. They just kind of wow. left it there. So uh, yeah, and if you're a fan of like '80s hard rock and metal, there's a lot like Slayers in it, and not oh, in the wow. movie, but the music is. And uh, yeah, Keanu Reeves is in it. Uh, Dennis Hopper's great. Yeah, really, really good movie. Uh, uh, Crispin Glover. He t- oh plays, really? Yeah, play, definitely check it out. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah, I've never seen it, so yeah, yeah, I need to check that out. So, 
And I have, I'd be remiss. It was Keith Rochford that brought up second chances, and and that's why it's, I got to give him credit. So this is a popular <laughs> episode. People love Hoosiers. So that's so uh, going back. This I asked everyone this. Did you see this when it originally came out? No, I did not. Um, I remember my parents watching it. It was years later when I watched it. Probably, God, I would say it, the movie might have been out for fifteen years. You know, I probably watched it early two thousands. Oddly okay. enough, yeah, wow. before I saw Hoosiers. Um, and I own it now in my extensive movie collection. I think I got about 775 movies or something like that. And Hoosiers is in there, and I watch it from time to time. And, yeah, it's they really captured they captured uh, captured the story very well. And like I said, what, what it's like to play rural high school sports and uh, what it means to community and, and all that and and kind of tied that into to life. I, I thought they did a really good job with that movie. Oh, absolutely. And I think it absolutely holds up today. I can't think of a better basketball movie. I know there's there's ones out there. But to me, that that's the one that I think resonates with people, even still today. Even though, you know, modern-wise, it it's nothing like basketball today. There's no shot clock. Right. There's no three-pointers. Point, three it's a totally different game. Uh, but it's still, there's something about that team spirit and the underdog everyone loves an underdog story uh you know that 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 really resonates with people you mean you don't think joanna man is the best basketball movie of all time <laughs> well that's second best top five. second best yeah. Hoosiers, yeah. <laughs> space jam so you got space yes jam. you know yeah. a, a really good basketball movie actually is glory road yes uh, I, yeah I, I love that movie top yeah. five yeah that's yeah. a really yeah. good movie that's that's a good one. Hey, supposedly LeBron James is is working on a sequel to Space Jam. He's just he's always chasing that Michael Jordan dragon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but so, this has been great. Thank yeah, you so thanks. much for Pink Bill, and we, you're going to be on a lot more along with your co-host. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, man. I'm hoping uh, soon we can we can get going. We'd like to start a podcast. Uh, you know, I know he'd talk to you about that a little yeah. bit, and we're, we're getting some ideas. So. So uh, yeah, maybe we'll be uh, maybe we'll join the podcast ranks soon too as a as a duo. So. Well, as I was telling Mike, even if you wanted to just you know you could record the talking parts of your show, and that you know if you didn't want to record that week, you kind of you have a little bit of both there because you guys can go anywhere because you guys talk about everything from music to sports to to movies to everything. So and you yeah, guys are got, fun. Yeah, I got I got some I got some pretty cool ideas. Even like you know I I not only my sports writer I I, I write uh, food reviews and stuff, and I've done right. a ton of that. And um, you know I was talking to him. Maybe at some point we could do like a uh, um, a barbecue podcast and talk about stuff. And I got a couple of guys that I know that own some restaurants and have done a lot of competition barbecue. I thought that'd be a cool yeah cool topic. So. And so, uh, I don't know. Speaking, I'm glad you brought that up because on that metal station, you can check out Bill's articles where he, he does uh, uh, picks a beer and then he talks about a band. He puts them together. Those are I think there's three articles on that. three now, um, yep. three now. And there's a fourth one that's I think Mike's going to try and post it uh, next Friday. But, yeah, I'll take uh, craft beer. I'm a big craft beer guy. So, um, you know, the, the, th- the first three that are out, the first one uh, I took. um Citywide uh, APA, which is a um, American Pale Ale from Four Hands Brewery in St. Louis, and paired it with Domination by Pantera. Ah, oh, nice. <laughs> and then the second one was I took a uh, a chocolate peanut butter porter 
from a, uh, a small brewery in Indianapolis, and uh, I paired it with Here Come the Bastards by uh, Primus, <laughs> just because the beer is so weird and in yeah. Primus, you know, and, and then uh, the third one that, that uh, came out recently was um, Tasmanian IPA, which is a IPA from Schlafly Brewery here in St. Louis, and I paired that with um, your favorite band. That's right. Uh, ACDC in the song Sin City, so... Um, and then the one coming out this uh, this next um, Friday will be a a beer. I'll just I'll just tease it this way. It's a it's a uh, beer out of Atlanta with a uh, progressive metal band out of Atlanta paired with it. So interesting. All right, so definitely check that out and uh, support uh, thatmetalstation.com. That's where you can read all this. And uh, thank you again, Bill. No problem. Thank you, man. Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win. We are officially on Spotify now, so if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there, so if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff, and yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to TeePublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C dot com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to TeePublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the Antolacahala. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. And the way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. 
Check it out! Science! Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the original Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock Podcast. If you're like me and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, you grew up loving hard rock and metal music. Check out our podcast where we talk to bands and artists that help create the soundtrack to our lives, along with playing some killer new and old deep tracks of kick-ass guitar-driven rock and roll. Find us wherever you find your podcast to listen to, that's the Growing Up Rock Podcast, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. And feel free to hit us up at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Growing Up Rock. So sit back and crank it up. <laughs> 